Welcome back, friends. Welcome back, reader. Welcome well, back after many weeks and several months. <laughs> it's been quite a bit since we recorded. And today we're giving the apartment library treatment to Moon of the Crusted Snow by Wabgishig Rice. And yes. how did you acquire this beautiful book, Sudipai? <laughs> That's a leading question because the answer is you gave it to me for Christmas. I did? Yes. Oh, well. Aren't I nice? You are. And another Christmas gift is this new recording device that we're using right now. So shout out to the cool person who got us this new microphone. I love the cool person. Yes. It's like my favorite person. <laughs> yes, mine too. I got, we actually sound like a radio show. It's kind of terrible. Radio is cool. Don't knock radio. Actually, the author of this book used to be a radio host on CBC. Used to? Yeah, I think he quit to write the sequel. He actually quit, or like did he take so. a, a sabbatical? Or maybe, yeah, I don't know. All I read was that he left the CBC, but maybe mm-hmm. it was just temporary. Who knows? Yeah, it says here on the book, on the back, on the jacket of the book, it says he currently hosts up north on CBC Radio in Sudbury. So he is a fellow Ontarian, even though neither of us was born in Ontario. No. But we love it and we live here. Yes. Despite its many issues. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. thank you for getting this book for me. My pleasure. Thank you for reading it. I told you, like, we're, we're, we're a sci-fi podcast after all. Yes. Well, well this is, like, not too, too sci-fi-ish. Well, it's not sci-fi at all. Well, I think it's <laughs> classified as that, from what I saw. Yeah. But I mean, there really isn't much sci. <laughs> to the five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, 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 a, it's an apocalypse, right? It's a, it's a catastrophe of the yeah. book. So in case you haven't read it, this book rocks yes episode <laughs> over how did you find out about this did you read about it online so uh i'm pretty sure it came to me in the form of a uh booktuber mm-hmm. so a youtuber of the booktube persuasion <laughs> uh i'm pretty sure actually i think it's a canadian booktuber mm-hmm. uh the shades of orange i'm pretty sure i think that's the first place i heard of it anyway but like i'm i saw it in a number of places and when i was collecting the many books that i was going to buy you for this christmas for the apartment library <laughs> You're so generous i mean it's christmas what kind of monster would i be <laughs> if i wouldn't to partake in the uh, raging capitalist system that is the christmas season <laughs> true yeah among the many books because usually i tend to go for books that are obviously like more of well the your liking Mm -hmm. but at the same time it just sounded like something that you would enjoy and i would also enjoy because i i honestly bought you uh, quite a few books that though i will absolutely recognize their merit i'm not like that interested in reading necessarily Mm -hmm. and with my obscenely humongous tbr list i you know like i don't have time to read the stuff i want to write let alone not right read god damn it anyway <laughs> yeah yeah i get it so this is a good book that you thought both of us would enjoy yeah and that turned out to be the case i fucking loved it yeah. i read it before you i bought it for you and i ended up reading it before you so i bought it for myself essentially is what hey i also read it immediately after yeah but you know first comes first wins <laughs> what? that's what i'm telling you <laughs> okay you win <laughs> where to start yeah, well... Where to begin? That's a good one. I mean, it, it was a short book. I think it's about 200 
ish pages. It says a novel, and if that is the case, it definitely borders the novella. The yeah, the it straddles that line for sure. It was short. It read really fast. I wanted there to be more of it. Yes. Well, and there is a sequel apparently. Yeah. So there we go. I wonder if the sequel will follow the same characters. But anyways, that's another discussion. But I think it takes place five years after. Okay. And I guess if, would it follow the same family? I wonder. That would be pretty cool because you you do wonder what happens at the end. Okay. So yeah, there is going to be a sequel. Mm-hmm. Set to release this year, 2023, and it's called Moon of the Turning Leaves. And I'm pretty sure, yeah, I saw that it was going to come out in October. I'm really looking forward to that. I actually, oh, yeah. like, enjoyed this book thoroughly. I looked forward to reading. I wanted to be done with other things so I could get back to the book. Yes, me too. Yeah. Like, usually, like, given the nature of our work, we both work with text. So, like, at the end of the day, it's not every day that I feel like reading after work, after eight hours of sitting there reading. Mm -hmm. But with this, I definitely, like, more than once, I just spent the afternoon reading. Yeah. In the evening, like, all the way until we went to bed. Just read through the thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it's very short, but, like, yeah, we read it fairly fast. We did. It's so good. Minus a couple nitpicks, this book was borderline perfect for me. Yeah, I mean, it was really, really enjoyable. One of my favorite things was just because it's set in fall, winter in a small um, reservation in Northern Ontario. So it just has this really cozy vibe, despite the scary kind of apocalyptic stuff. Mm -hmm. It has a really cozy vibe. And it just I love the scenes where it talked about them and their house and getting firewood and cooking food and just it had a really cozy comforting atmosphere as far as i understand that is what people refer to as a cozy catastrophe well that this describes it perfectly (laughs) for sure the slice of life aspect to it was definitely one of my favorite portions of it his uh, wife evan's wife nicole a lot of the chapters that are just dedicated to her going about her day taking care of the kids taking care of her responsibilities it was it's so vivid like their daily life and starts like things get going pretty much right away right like Mm -hmm. it's in the first couple of pages that you start to get a notion that you know like the power goes out things are gonna happen yeah i did have obviously like a fairly good notion of of where the book was gonna go of like what the topic of it was i actually didn't when i bought it i actually did not know where other than like it it dealt with a community that faces societal collapse from a very blinded perspective like they are very isolated exactly they don't get any information until people come in from the outside and give them their fragmented very slim observations of what has actually been happening and it's only what's been happening in like these fictional towns south of them yeah but it felt real it really mm-hmm. did right like i went and looked up if those places were actually real if like um i can't remember what the name of the gibson towns. was the, yeah the that's it yeah gibson and another one yeah further south where like the the kids go to to college or university right yeah and it felt real it really like it i was did. like this i know, you know like yeah, despite the fact that they're this community, everyone knows each other. They're very 
tight-knit community. And they are isolated, like they're up in northern Ontario. But just the feeling that at any moment people can come here and you can prevent people from coming to your community. I yeah, I both found it surprising, like have it, it it being such a part of like the apocalypse literature and zombie literature and downfall of society slash dystopia type of scenarios. I was kind of surprised, sort of missed it a little bit. And at the same time, I found it pretty refreshing that like this was a very like grounded approach and things remained like pedestrian. They remained like very day to day, normal people doing normal things with the backdrop of this thing happening fairly far away, yet affecting them nonetheless. But the fact that like they didn't start forming, you know, like a close gated community with the, they built palisades walls with like people keeping watch yeah, around, you know, like, guns and- exactly like nature provided that mm-hmm. for them already. Like winter provided a, an almost impenetrable barrier around them enough that like only a few people come in from the outside only a handful of them are actually not from the reservation yeah right they're actually not from that community on that note like the book did give me some really neat idea of what it is to live on a reservation like what a reservation what reservation life is like what the modern life of a uh, of a first nations canadian reservation is like mm-hmm. or just like the daily life of like first nations people yeah it's something that you don't really get to read about in many books or at least i I haven't you kind of have to seek out that type of perspective i think mm-hmm. but it's it was definitely pretty... the first one that we read together that yeah we discussed. yeah it was really cool and it was nice how it was like a story that didn't necessarily have to happen on a native on a first nations reservation but that just happened to be the setting and it was kind of cool to have that as the backdrop of the main story yeah i think that's it's alluded to when like people really talk about the importance of like getting different voices to tell stories and that it has you know been discussed a fair bit in a lot of the media that i that i consume regarding sci-fi and fantasy and fiction in general where like yeah, like we we've heard the story told by you know Stephen King thirty five different times, yeah, and by similarly other people in that same vein. But this definitely gave it a different flavor. Obviously, like from the Anishinaabe words and the customs, the traditions, the aspects of life that their cultural enclave bring to the story. Yeah, it like made it at least in our perspective terribly unique right yeah it was very cool and yeah i totally gave you the opportunity to learn about what life is like at least on some of these reservations like you know they're they have a grocery store but it's super expensive yeah so that's the topic that people who don't live in those communities might not be aware of um they're used to having their power cut off their communications cut off because the infrastructure just isn't there's not enough investment i guess compared to other parts of the country so those are things that you see in the book and it's not like it's shoved in your face as like some political statement yeah although maybe it should be i don't know but yeah no i mean it definitely like for instance like uh the only reason that they have um a lot of the infrastructure they have is because people from 
southern Ontario went up to build a dam and build this and that. And like in their kind of along the way, this community finds itself like kind of along the way. And therefore they end up with, you know, telephone towers and internet and whatever. Right. Yeah. And it was just, it's a nice community. Like they have their, their values of helping each other, you know, the elders tell stories and that's how they pass on knowledge. And Mm -hmm. it's just really, really cool to read a different perspective. For sure. And there's still a sense that like that you hear from Evan being told by the author through Evan that there is, you know, a resentment within the community for people who have been, he literally says lazy, but what it's alluding to on top of that is the fact that like a lot of the culture is being left behind. Like, I don't know how many times he said, like all these people that don't hunt anymore. And that like when they actually have to go and like make a tally of like what kind of food people have and what they're going to have to do to ration stuff. He is surprised, like the number of people that don't go hunting anymore because he goes because he hunts and he provides food for his family that way and for his neighbors and for his friends and for everyone. And yeah, so there was a lot to like in a very small space. I really I do like I could have read this book being twice as long Mm -hmm. just because of the picture it was able to convey and like the ideas it brought to my mind it is like such a success and regardless of the subject matter which is it's a lot of fun it's something that i find like almost undeniably attractive you know like the catastrophe mm-hmm. the tragedy the apocalypse the post-apocalyptic and the dystopian they're just subject matters that like attract me more than others yeah more than some others but even then, even if this book had been what it was minus that, if it was literally like a slice of life in this community, within this culture, like with these characters, I think I would have liked it just as much. Oh, me too. It was just, it had that, yeah, that weird feeling of, yeah, there's this outside world that's kind of deteriorating. There's no power, no communication, no food. So it has all these scary topics. But it just managed to still, to me, feel like such a interesting, cozy, comforting story. I don't know. Like, like you said earlier, it was just it was it was really like I really pictured every scene in my mind and I could just feel what it's like to be there and the smell of the wood burning and, you know, people's cozy homes. And it just it was just a really engaging read. Just yeah, even if you take away the whole mystery kind of element. Yeah, the drama of it. Yeah. It was I, like you said I would I would read a whole book about these characters and the setting. Hmm. Very very unique. Yeah, even though by the end there aren't that many of those characters left. <laughs> yeah. No, they're like there's quite a like there are a few hundred people living in that community. Yeah, I think 500 did yeah, they say something like that. Yeah. I read 350. I can. Oh, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, like by the end, there have been like 30 deaths. Yeah. And yeah, so there's the the aspect of the antagonist, Scott. Yeah, and uh, that is, I thought that was like the only point that was a little bit weak. I thought that aspect was a little bit underdeveloped. That character felt a slightly less three dimensional than all the other ones. Because the characters of Evan, 
Nicole, their kids, their parents, even though like in such a short book, you don't get to spend that much time, Mm -hmm. you know, like Evan's friends and colleagues, you just get a sense that they are real, tangible, three-dimensional people. Yeah. Whereas they have histories, like they have a backstory that even though it's not explored, you, you know, it's like, you can feel it, that it's there. For sure. Yeah. Whereas in contrast, the, the, the antagonist, the real antagonist of this story felt a little bit more or a little bit, a little bit less real and developed. Although I still saw it in my head. I didn't, it didn't ruin my suspension of disbelief. No. And I wonder maybe if it was a bit intentional because he's this outsider, mysterious guy. No one really knows his motivations, where he came from, what it, like, who is this guy? So maybe the author, just guessing here, on purpose kind of left him a bit. Mysterious. But yeah, a bit, a bit mysterious, a bit underdeveloped, just to kind of contribute to that idea of who is this random guy? What are his motivations? Maybe. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, for sure. That makes me think that like, yeah, in a way, it's a, a reflection of the the fear and desperation of the unknown. However, he is not that much of the unknown, though, right? Like he comes and it's almost immediate it's after he gets off of his snowmobile and has said a few lines by that point you already know okay this is the bad guy yeah this is 100 percent gonna be the bad guy um i know you didn't feel that way because you said like you you hadn't made made up your mind about him once yeah when we talked about that it was pretty early on after they introduced the character and at the beginning you know he was trying to be super nice and respectful and he's he seemed like he was obviously trying to make them like him so in a way i was kind of i wasn't sure where his character was gonna go is he gonna do something horrible is Mm -hmm. he gonna not do something bad so i think it was early on in the character Mm. arc that we talked about it but for sure like as the story goes on you you see that he is not a good person Mm -hmm. yeah like i think i latched on a lot to like the main character of evan where he is the the opposite of an unreliable narrator, right? Like I just bought it hook, line and sinker that like when he guy, when he says this guy gets off the snowmobile and I tense up, right. Mm-hmm. And I see this in the way that he talked to them, like he talked down to them right away. Mm-hmm. And when the chief and a couple of the elders show up, he shows respect and deference. So yeah, you can tell or I, I it, you got the feeling. Yeah, like it, it bugged me right away when, like, it's funny because this is a very much a an apocalyptic event that is happening, and it's only by virtue of the isolation that these people live in that it is getting to them a lot slower, and it's uh, affecting them a lot different than yeah. the people in the larger cities. And so, the fact that this guy shows up and right away he's He's trying to take over. Yeah, like exactly, right? So like it, to me it just like it was like a little too and then like he's supposed to be like in his 40s or something and then like he catches him at a party with like teenagers. Yeah. And he's got like creepy. a like a 20-year-old or like an 18-year-old girl like sitting on his lap. So it's like yeah. okay, well this this guy is like yeah. So it not to like ramble on about like me disliking it because I didn't dislike it. I just felt that it was like a tiny tiny bit um too obvious. Okay. You know. Yeah. However, it, it did very effectively convey the, the the point that that character was there for, right? And what, as a character, he embodies in this world. 
it didn't ruin the book for me. I love this book. It just ruined my idea of like, okay, these people are going to work together and they're going to really face this nightmare and they're going to have to overcome whatever comes. It just, it kind of pissed me off that what ended up coming was the Scott fucking dude. Yeah. But I guess it's kind of like, it's believable that this person (laughs) would want to escape the bigger town that he's from because he sees it going Oh, for sure. To hell, right? And yeah, the setup, I comes, believe it. Like, yeah, he he's just trying to save himself, I guess, by by coming to this community. But he is really creepy, really weird, a cannibal, as you discover, as it's implied later on in the book. Yeah, that is. Um, but I think maybe part of what you dislike about the character is just he's a dislikable person. Oh, for sure. If you imagine him in real life, it, he's yeah. like this douche that just comes into this place where he's not from and he just pretends to take over to take over and he actually kind of does take over he he's just not a good influence on the people there so he's just an asshole yeah no i i I agree i think that it's not so much that like i don't like the guy because i don't like the guy it's Mm -hmm. just i don't like the idea that like i don't like what he does to the story yeah um even though it works even though it absolutely works there is the one line right near the end where he says something you know like about you know, like, uh, you know, of course, you know, the white guy has to come and fix it all. And that I, I thought it was like a little bit too on the nose. Yeah. Like the fact that like the white guy had already come and had already, you know, done all the. All the damage. Yeah. Like done all the shit that he did. Yeah. It was a little too on the nose. Uh-huh. Uh, in comparison with a lot of like the subtlety and the believability that was carried through the story. For instance, one of my favorite chapters of it regardless of the fact that like it it is so much not about what happens in the rest of the world that chapter when the two young guys who come back from college where they're staying uh, yeah. at the university uh, residence mm-hmm. when they come back and they tell their story yeah of how things were going down and you don't actually get that much detail but like it you get character development of those two kids while getting exposition to what had happened and what was happening essentially worldwide, you get an idea that it's, you know, like it's so informative yet claustrophobic at the same time. Yeah. And it doesn't really explain, like it explains what's happening in the other places. Like they lost power, they're running out of food, no communication, but it doesn't, I was just so curious what caused all of this to begin with. And the, the book obviously doesn't go into that. And I guess that contributes to part of the, the unsettling, feeling of this and the mystery so it's kind of it's cool that it didn't really explain the cause of this whole disaster to begin with for sure so i like yeah i like that how that's left unknown yeah and that it it didn't end up being something lame like oh zombies or it was like you know like some man-made disease cooked up in an evil lab up in the mountains or something you know but you're you're left to kind of think of what could have possibly done this yeah but i do find that you know like attractive in many books like i think like for instance world war z Mm -hmm. is a book that does a lot of what this book does right however it's a completely different thing that is a book where like he goes at major lengths to describe everything that is happening and like that is that book is all exposition right okay so this book moon of the crusted snow it's a lot more like the road by Cormac McCarthy and that it's not about 
the downfall of society is not about the apocalypse is about that relationship between those characters very much like this book very much where like it is about this community facing adversity and that's in so many ways and in so many different flavors that's where it succeeds so well oh yes it really focuses on how these people adapt and react (laughs) it's like that quote in the office what does it react readapt after something like that <laughs> but it's it's oh, the, the business school yeah but it's really about how these people face this this crazy situation and how the leaders take charge and they eventually the leaders aren't much of a leader anymore well the chief right like yeah. the chief himself it it sounds like it, it it is definitely addressing in a very gentle way or realistic i guess um, it is addressing the fact that, like in many cases, yeah, the people who are in leadership, be it in this type of community or elsewhere, are really not apt for the role of leadership. And when push comes to shove, they really show their true colors and they're really, oh, I'm saying all the cliches right now. Right? <laughs> they don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like they, they, they really show that they're not made for this and that they're not capable of meeting the demands of their role yeah right however like it, it doesn't happen right away it's not like the the chief terry yeah he's not like a fumbling buffoon and it's not like he fails in mm-hmm. his role right away yeah but it it's, eventually it comes to that yeah and that like there there is that scene where he looks at scott and i think it's yeah like after scott shoots one of the newcomers mm, true and he looks and was like why did you do that why are we gonna do now yeah, he's and, looking to Scott for guidance on what's the next step. Yeah, that's what Evan says to himself, right? Like, this is inner di- his inner dialogue. Mm-hmm. That's what Evan says. His inner dialogue is, oh, shit, Terry just gave Scott the leadership. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, sorry. That's like, yeah, and there's a part in the book where I think it it skips a period of time. And then it says that there's essentially no more leadership. Everyone's kind of on their own. Like the, the chief and the council have kind of stopped. Yeah, they've been neutered. essentially. Yeah. So for a good portion of the time, the leadership in the community does a good job. Like they deliver updates to people. They host community meetings. They deliver food to people. But then as this scenario just doesn't come to an end, it just kind of fills us out, I guess there. Yeah, your leadership. Backpedaling it a little bit, like it does touch on like so many aspects of emergency preparedness and the failure to to prepare for an emergency, but also to like meet it with the cool head that it requires. Yeah. Uh, for instance, the the grocery store, right? Like it gets completely bought out right away, and everybody buys a pile of stuff, and like it's the very first day of everybody being aware of this mess or like it's very early on anyway and mm-hmm. evan goes and there's like some cans of beans and like some nonsense crackers left yeah. yeah exactly like nothing and later on in the novel uh when they're all actually rationing they're talking about like tapping into their uh, emergency stores and then he alludes back to that instance and he says like now we're all pretty pissed at the guy who runs the store because he shouldn't have let that happen like we should have all gotten together and decided you know it's very much like what happened with COVID 19 where like when it started people thought that they were going to be like 
trapped in their house for a month. So they bought enough toilet paper for two years for some stupid reason. Yeah. And then it became, it's like, okay, so this is not at all what we thought it was going to be. And I guess uh, nobody would have wanted to believe it if they told us like, okay, this thing is actually going to take years, not months. Yeah. A little on weeks. But people, yeah, were preparing for like a short period of time and they reacted very in a very knee-jerk fashion like Mm -hmm. they completely overreacted i guess it's not an overreaction but it's it's the fact of it was a very selfish reaction yeah and and not a rational one like not one that is not that one that betrays a lot of forethought right yeah the fact that people want to behave in a certain way in the organization the government the establishments allow it to happen it's such a failure in a situation such as this and that is exemplified like very subtly but very well in that one instance right like it's just a simple thing like going to the store Mm -hmm. and buying out more than you should yeah especially in a community like this that is so interdependent that it's so reliant on each other and if just a fraction of people decide that they don't care and that we're gonna fuck each other over, that really ruins it for everyone. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like what makes this community strong at first is the fact that people care for each other. People go check in on the elders. People knock on the door and say, Are you okay? Do you need anything? But I guess as time goes on, it, it really, once people realize that this is not ending anytime soon, it's been, I think, near the end of the book, it's been two years. Yeah, that's a flash forward, right? Okay, yeah. But so it just goes to show that I guess eventually it's kind of everyone for themselves, sort of. That's what's implied, I think. To an extent, yeah. I mean, it, like the, the, the tight knit families stay together. But there's. But there were still like quite a number of people, though. Like there were like some of the elders or some of there were the friends, there were yeah. the people who had made it, right? But yeah, it, it very much alludes to the fact that if you don't step up, and organize, get together and look out for each other and prepare for it and react properly when it's time to do so. Yeah, things go south really quickly yeah. and it gets very difficult to address a problem that it's serious, but by virtue of not reacting properly, it becomes so much worse. Yeah. For so sure. there are so many aspects of this novel that I loved that really touched on like so many of of those things that I love about this genre, even though it just, it's so not typical, it's so unique and not obviously an apocalypse novel. It's not a dystopian future so palpable that like, you know, we're seeing it right through our smartphones today. You know, Mm -hmm. like it's not this obvious parallel to the issues of you and I. Even though we live in the same region this this community is from, it's such a world apart, right? Yeah. Like we live in Ontario, we live in Ottawa, we live in southern Ontario, but like it's such a completely different world. Mm-hmm. To think of someone who lives in a small community, in a small tight-knit community, and even more so one that is historically and culturally isolated and justified in being apprehensive towards the outside world mm-hmm. so i it just it worked for me on so many levels 
I'm like, I'm fucking dying to read that, that sequel. I really hope that he delivers. And it takes place five years after, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, he starts, like, that very much is an allusion to the, the Native American, the Native Canadian heritage of living connected with nature and being a part of it. So much so that, like, at the end, they're literally moving back into the woods. Yes, they're kind of reverting to the more traditional way of life yeah because that's all that's left really i mean there's no use in having a house if there's no heating no electricity i mean it's shelter i guess but but by moving back into the forest i guess you're much more close to places you can hunt and a bit safer i guess to be isolated from other people yeah that's probably the main component of it right like the fact that you cannot protect a community that is just like completely open yeah but also sprawling, right? Like there mm-hmm. are like if there's some 500 people, there gotta be like I don't know, like almost like a hundred buildings or something like that. Yeah. It's a little town, yeah. With you know like four roads leading mm-hmm. in or out of it, like so many little towns are, and they have in so many ways, or so many of them have turned against each other, and they have failed to meet the challenge, right? They've failed to come together and to meet this very demanding change in their world so that those who become a nuclear group they they really have to like get back to where they're originally from yeah and what did you think about the whole scott eating people thing eating the dead (laughs) dead corpses (laughs) oh fuck to completely change topics there but like do i wonder because everyone else was just hunting Mm. Like hunting deer, hunting moose, but for some reason he decides to steal a body. Yeah, so I I, I have read a fair bit of um, a fair number of books by Michael and Kathleen Gear. A lot of their books. So these guys are the archaeologists, and they write fiction based on their studies. So they have a, a whole ton of books about like uh, Native Americans across North America and across the ages, right? Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I've seen it there in a number of times that for so many Native American cultures, the issue of cannibalism is one of the biggest taboos and one that is associated with a number of, obviously, like in in modern world. The the Wendigo thing. I think I read that that's a reference to the Wendigo. Is that? off base if i if, no i think if i remember correctly yeah that, like that that is a and i mean wendigo is like a, a generic like, kind of yeah it's like a construction of like so many different myths and I- ideas mm-hmm. that have been you know passed along that have morphed that have but yeah if if i remember correctly yeah, it has to do with someone who has eaten human meat and, and, and gone crazy i don't know if that's part of like this particular like the anishinaabe mythology i don't know maybe that's completely not part of their storytelling or whatever but just on the wikipedia page it says that it's um scott eating the dead people is like an allegory for cultural genocide of indigenous people yeah i mean that that entire character is essentially that right like it it very much is a outsider who comes and takes over and takes away from them and causes all kinds of tragedies mm-hmm. and steals so much from them, like their place, their people, their friends, 
Evan's brother kind of teams up with, with Scott. You know, so you lose family, you lose safety, you lose your traditional moral history is tied to the things that like that this guy is taking away from you. And that is, yeah, like I guess exemplified like in the most radical form in him eating one of the elders yeah. or one of the yeah. other dead. Yeah. And that scene where they like one of the final scenes where um Evan and I guess Isaiah probably mm-hmm. they go confront Scott about stealing a body from the morgue, I guess yeah. you can call it. That whole standoff reminded me so much of Wind River. Do you remember that movie? Yeah. The standoff in that movie where there's just like a bunch of people, like they all have their guns and you can feel the tenseness. Yeah. It just gave me that same vibe. For sure. It, I mean, it takes place in a very similar setting, right? Yes, it's, that's it's, part of it for sure. For sure. But yeah, just no, like I, the, I get, the standoff feeling. between people and they're kind of trying to remain friendly, but you can tell that there's... Yeah, not be the one to race the tension past the boiling point. Yeah, and you can feel that at some point someone's going to shoot yeah. and you don't know who it is or what, where it's yeah. going to happen. And then there's that ambiguity that like we had a pretty good conversation about was the... Uh, the notion that like you don't know for sure that Evan makes it or not until the very end. At least that's how I interpret it, right? Yeah. So I'll... Well, I wasn't even sure if he survived, but I've read the Wikipedia summary and it, it says that he does survive. Yeah, yeah so but, that, that's how I saw it, right? Yeah. Like he gets shot three times, you think, and the way that the text goes up until the very end, essentially, kind of alludes to the idea or teases the idea that he's dead. Yeah. And as only at the very end, when his wife, Nicole, says to the kids, like, let's go find dad. And then, you know, if you remember the scene in which he was setting up a dwelling in the forest mm-hmm. as a means of a, a backup like a plan. Backup, exactly. Yeah. But the whole thing, like, let's go. Like, I recognize that he, he lives like that's that's what the author intended, I guess, like mm-hmm. Evan is alive. But in my head, I, I kind of felt, let's go, let's go find dad. I was wondering, do they actually mean Evan as in the alive version? Or do they have like a burial site and let's go see dad, you know, in that sense. And the fact that it was just the scene with every, like the whole family except him. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought, man, is he actually dead or alive? I don't know. But I, know. But I think he is. I think, yeah. Like what you're saying is right. It's just, that's, I guess, the gamble of writing that those scenes like mm-hmm. that. It's like, I, I get what he he did. Like, and I, you know, like when I read it, I was like, oh, okay. So he teased me with the idea that Evan was dead until the very end, where you're like, okay, no, he made it. Yeah, you know, and he that's ate three bullets and he made it. Yeah, and I'm glad he did because exactly right. So like, but and that that's the feeling that you get, like the elation of like, oh my god, like this like this last few pages, I thought the main character mm-hmm. that. Whom, whom we grew to love, he he's dead now. Mm-hmm. And the story goes on without him. Assuming that, you know, you're aware of a sequel or whatever. Anyway, point being that, like, you think that that is the case. And then it's revealed that it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess, like, if you ha- if we hadn't, if we didn't have the the benefit of the Internet or of each other, you know, like, of to, like, sit there and argue about it, say that, like, you just were by yourself in a cabin in the woods and you had this pile of books, you had this book, no other information about it, and you read it, and that's what you got out of it, and then you moved on, and you thought, like, okay, I guess Evan's dead. And then you get the sequel, and you read the sequel, and be like, 
Wait a minute. Here. Yeah, I thought he was dead. What the fuck? And then you go like open up the other books. So, like it is a gamble. Yeah. Writing ambiguity, writing ambiguously, and building up to a payoff like that, it can definitely have that risk. Yeah. That, but like, see, it wasn't ambiguous for you though, right? Like you, yeah. you felt a hundred percent that he was alive. Yeah. Like my point is like it, it, there, there's a risk in writing in that way, so that like a reader may or may not catch what you're intending yeah. to say. Like it's not as clear as saying and evan lived yes. at the end you know it's not obvious yeah so yeah i guess that there is but like i i liked it though i thought they had like it was a an earned emotional punch at the end mm-hmm. i felt like it teased me just the right amount yeah so that i wasn't pissed off with that quote-unquote plot twist yeah that he didn't die because it really thought he might and because he gets shot three times yeah. and there's no hospital there's no emergency services so it he very well could have died for sure for sure yeah like that's kind of like mm-hmm. yeah that, that plays yeah. into the idea that like you don't know for sure and you think that it's it is very likely that he might be dead yeah so but it didn't feel like i feel like a scenario like this i've seen before where it is where it is not done as well mm-hmm. and it tells us it it just doesn't sell it, so that like by the it's kind of like coming back from the dead sort of thing. Yeah. Whereas like if he, I mean, three bullets, it doesn't even describe where he gets shot. Just like gets shot three times. Yeah, it could be in the leg. Although that could be deadly too. I'll kill you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no point being that like you don't know, right? Whereas like a character gets shot in the head and then he comes back. Like it happened in the, in the comic, actually in the TV show too, in the walking Dead, where like the kid gets shot in the head Okay. and he loses his eye. Oh, true. And, but the rest of him is fine. Yeah. And he lives. It's like, it's possible. Of course that like, it would go through your eye and out the side. I was like, come on, Jesus Christ. That is a hell of a <laughs> tease for like, just to mess with you, you know? Yeah. Um, I guess it's possible, but yeah. point being that like here, it was done in a way that like, I, did not resent the implication nor the reveal to not be what you are teased Mm -hmm. to think it is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. It was really well done. The whole book was just really enjoyable. Mm -hmm. I love that. Like I said, I wish there had been more to it Uh, at the same time, you know, maybe it was the perfect length. I, yeah, I was just going to say, I think it is the perfect length. Like there's no fluff to it. Mm -hmm. There's no dragging parts, I don't think. Like, the whole story was just engaging. You you could argue, though, that, like, if you wanted a book about... You could say that if you wanted to have a story like this, if you wanted an apocalyptic story, an end-of-time story, from this perspective, from the perspective of this uh, Anishinaabe community, and then you have all of this, what you may very well call fluff, and say, okay, so there's all this slice of life there's this buildup, there's this small instances of survival, whereas maybe you wanted something different, then you could call a lot of what happens in this book, I'll be very short, fluff, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, those were so much of the things that we liked, that I really enjoyed. Yeah, it really fleshed out the characters and made you just, I guess, um, feel for them more. Yeah, I felt it was real. Like, it definitely... Yeah, to your point, it, it definitely conveys like real feeling three dimensional characters. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and in, in, in not but, but like in addition to that, it, it definitely, ugh, fuck, 
it felt real. It felt like the day-to-day stuff that was happening. It felt it delivered a lot of what I really enjoyed about a quiet place mm-hmm. where it's a completely impossible scenario in which people have to survive in this world that is so hostile and so deadly. But you see them cooking and playing little board games and doing laundry and surviving the onslaught of insanely deadly, no spoilers, (laughs) but yeah, it just balanced that so well. And I think like, yeah, I mean, like I, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is if you were looking for something else, maybe you, you know, like if you wanted World War Z or if you wanted a The Walking Dead, you're not going to. I don't know, like, I keep thinking of, like, zombie books for some reason, because, like, the, this sort of, like, catastrophe, like, does allude to that. Yeah. Um, shares a lot of the DNA with that sort of thing. But, like, yeah, my point is, like, if you wanted that type of, like, beat by beat, fast-paced, action-packed, still drama, but, like, you know, a catastrophe of, like, these epic proportions in which you have to survive, you have to scavenge, you have to figure out a way to get your food rationed properly and get power like build up some walls get people different watches so that like we're safe right here it felt so much more likely and real obviously because like you know like a you don't know what the downfall of society here is but like in the road by cormac mccarthy it's not about that but at the same time like the world does convey like so much of that aspect of it and what makes you know like that book in so many ways aside from the central story like it is here about this community about these characters it still really tickles that story that it is so in vogue and it's so in in the popular consciousness right now you know like the post-apocalypse the catastrophe the dystopia it really like addresses like that niche desire that we have for these type of stories yeah these types of things that it could like you just put yourself in that situation and wonder how would I survive? How would we make it out? But it's yeah, it's really cool to have it from this perspective of an indigenous author's perspective. It's really unique. Like I've never read anything like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It could be like, it's like so many different perspectives like that could give it the flavor to it. However, yeah, it, it it's made unique because of it, but not, about it no it's it's not the focus necessarily although that wouldn't be bad i'm not saying that's a bad thing but it's just it's this familiar story this interesting story but with such a cool twist to it Mm -hmm. yeah it really or yeah like a a really neat retelling of something that like we might have seen before yeah it didn't feel that way though no it didn't really feel like okay i'm reading another post-apocalyptic catastrophe of which i've read many Mm -hmm. but no this didn't convey that notion at all like it it really didn't feel like it even like shared that much with books that like or stories in general that like you might put in that box Mm -hmm. but yeah like i keep thinking of the road i keep thinking of a quiet place even though it's so different right i think it it does so well convey the characters their interpersonal relationships and in the face of this catastrophe and it, it it's funny that isn't saying much. That idea is not that you know like original. Now that like we have it like laid out in front of us, but it is to me, and I'm sure to you, and to so many other people, for some reason, so enjoyable. Yeah, 
like this combination. I'm pretty sure that's what made, you know, The Walking Dead, even though that show be, ended up being horrible. <laughs> it is what made it so gripping in the beginning, right? There is the drama of the character. There is the fear of the uncertain. And then there's the immediate danger and the challenge of what makes the world unique, what's happening here in Moon of the Crusted Snow. It's essentially like all those elements played out, not as dramatically, not as violently as in these other stories or some of these other stories, but it is done so well. Yeah, it really is. Well done. And we're both so looking forward to the sequel whenever it comes out. Definitely grab it as soon as it comes out. Yeah. I'm curious if it'll follow the same family. I'm guessing it will. I would hope it does. I hope so. Because, yeah, it would be nice to see where they end up and what challenges await. Mm -hmm. And it takes place five years after, if I remember correctly. So that is plenty of time to, like, have most likely the two kids. Actually, they're pretty young. Yeah, Uh I think they were, like, three and five or something. Yeah. So, yeah, they're they're not going to be that old. No. Okay. Yeah, in my head, they're, they're, like, they would be, like, closer to, like, teenagers mm. so yeah um yeah it's interesting to Very think about cool. like yeah I, I i do follow uh the author on on twitter and he posts you know like a number of pictures i've seen like you no know, of his family of his kids he just had a they just had a kid oh, wow. uh recently they just had a baby mm-hmm. so it, it is yeah like interesting to think about it from that perspective you know like the the subtle realities versus the obvious catastrophe mm-hmm. And, you know, like they have young kids and like they, you know, imagine telling your kids like 20 years down the lines, like, yeah, you were born in the middle of a worldwide virus pandemic that changed so many things that made us change the way we behave and change our perception and ruin so many things. And like people lost their livelihoods in many cases and people had to change so many, so many things about it. But at the same time, like kind of like nothing happened mm-hmm. you know yeah it's sort of like oh we we've lived through a pandemic yet like sure many people lost loved ones but at the same time it, it was not you know the zombie apocalypse that it might have been made out to be i'm not like saying to like diminish the the seriousness of what the COVID 19 pandemic has been i'm just you know making a note of like how interesting it is to, to think about the contrast of that and what that might have played uh, the thought of something like that happening might have played in the author's mind because he wrote this book. I think it came out in 2018 or yeah, 2020. 2018. Yeah. So, you know, leading up to it, imagine, you know, like the contrast of it, right? Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Very cool. So, yeah, we're excited to read the new book later this year. I, I was kind of like pissed when I saw that it was like coming out. It said 2023 and I was like, yes, yeah. it said October. Like, God damn it. Uh, but it'll be cool if it comes out in <laughs> fall. That's cozy season. And I'm sure it'll have those cozy elements as well in the second book. Yeah, so cozy catastrophe yeah. continues. Very, very fitting. Yeah. Well, thanks so much again for joining us. We'll be yes. looking forward to have you again. Yum. And I'll be key. I'll keep buying you some awesome books that you continue to love. Yes, please do. And uh we'll keep reading good books and talking about good books. Indeed. Yes. Thank mm-hmm. you.